The following program is sponsored by Grant Stern. This is the Only in Miami show, sponsored by Morningside Mortgage Corporation of Bay Harbor Islands. Tonight's show is hosted by Grant Stern. Find out more about our sponsor at www.morningsidemortgage.com. That's www.morningsidemortgage.com. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern, uh, Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiamiradio.com. News, politics, our live stream, and more. Check it out at onlyinmiamiradio.com. And we are with you on a special Christmas night broadcast, so I hope that you're enjoying your holiday your Chinese food, and your trip to the movie theater, which is probably where you're listening to us right now, okay, for that 7.30 or 8 o'clock showing. I hope you enjoy your trip to see The Last Jedi or (laughs) whatever it is that you've chosen. Uh, So we've got a great show planned for you tonight. We have Michael Hepburn live in studio. He is a candidate for Florida's 27th Congressional District, which covers South Beach, Miami's uh, Coconut Grove neighborhood, downtown, uh, large chunks of Little Havana, uh, Coral Way, and then all the way down to like Pinecrest and Cutler Bay and Palmetto Bay. And we're going to talk with Michael for the entire hour, get to know him. He's one of quite a few candidates True. for the 27th <laughs> District. Uh, but this is the part of the program where I get a few minutes to speak directly with you, the listening audience, about issues of importance that impact us citywide and sometimes beyond. And... Nobody knows what's going to happen between today, Friday, when we recorded this program and, you know, Christmas night, just a few nights hence. But I wanted to speak with you about the important national security investigation that's going on in Washington, D.C. as we speak and has been going on since actually July of last year and became the special counsel's investigation this past May. So I'd like to speak with you about some of the, let's call it rumors, because really what's been happening lately has been a melange of facts, things like indictments and and plea convictions and cooperating witnesses who work directly with the president for many, many months on end, and then other reports out there, confusing reports. Reports about text messages and, you know, attempts to discredit the FBI. And it's hard to know what's what, but it is important to know the context of how all this happened and how did we get here to understand why this investigation is so critical and why those who would like to stop it are so dead set on spreading misinformation rather than simply reporting the facts of the actual case. So we've heard a lot about text messages from the FBI, but the way that we got those text messages is downright scary. And if it doesn't raise the hairs on the back of your neck, then you either don't know or you're not listening to me tonight. 
The Department of Justice in this country is an apolitical entity. It is a massive national agency with numerous U.S. attorneys, and their job is to prosecute federal crimes. And they're supposed to do it absent of partisan rancor. They're not supposed to be simply looking for Democrats to prosecute when they're a Republican, and they're not supposed to be uh, looking for Republicans to prosecute when they're Democrats. We rely on these people for the just administration of law and equal and fair administration of law. But something not only extraordinary but seriously worrisome happened this past week. You see, an FBI agent was removed from the special counsel's investigation to remove even the appearance of impropriety because certain text messages were turned up, personal messages, messages that these agents are totally allowed to send expressing their personal opinions to their personal friends and those who are not necessarily, you know, if it's outside the boundaries of the investigation, that's their personal life. They're allowed to have one of those and encouraged to have an opinion as well. Moreover than that, there are laws, federal laws, that prevent the special counsel from considering somebody's partisan leanings before hiring them. It's actually illegal for the Department of Justice to look at what is your politics before they hire you. I mean, they'll know maybe your registration, but it is actually a federal crime to be a Department of Justice supervisor, employee, you know, somebody that's hiring and go and hire people solely because they're Republicans or solely because they're Democrats or to not hire them for those reasons. Yet, what happened this past week with the leaked text messages was an attempt to paint the FBI and paint the special counsel's office as having done wrong for not considering the partisan opinion of some of the people that are working on Robert Mueller's special investigation. In fact, they were saying, you didn't break the law, so that means you're biased. The worst part, though, is how those messages appeared in the hands of the media. You see, the Department of Justice has what's called an inspector general, an independent office within the Department of Justice, whose job is to conduct investigations of things that the Department of Justice has done. And last January, uh, January of 2017, the Inspector General did make a rare announcement that they were investigating James Comey's handling of the Hillary Clinton case, including the infamous October letter that is considered widely by many, including myself and even including Donald Trump's former campaign manager, Corey Lewandowski, as having been a decisive factor in last year's election. And the inspector general has been investigating those events independently, apolitically, since this January. Yet somehow, their evidence, which is held in strict confidence, because it is evidence in an official proceeding. I call it secret evidence, because until the investigation is complete, they, the policy of the Department of Justice is not to release the evidence nor any statements. 
but somehow the inspector general's secret evidence was not only leaked out, but actually, according to Business Insider's Natasha Bertrand, it was carried by Department of Justice high-ranking officials, one would think political appointees, to reporters to make sure that these text messages would be reported on before Attorney General, I'm sorry, Deputy Attorney General and Acting Attorney General in the investigation of the Russia probe, Rod Rosenstein, was set to deliver remarks to Congress. I have never, ever heard of such a thing. It is chilling to imagine that the Department of Justice could take secret evidence against any citizen, let alone somebody who works under the umbrella of the Department of Justice, an FBI agent, a very high-ranking FBI agent, and take this secret evidence and literally leak it straight to the media for a very specific purpose of influencing congressional testimony. But that is what's occurred. And that is why people are, have been so concerned. That's why the last week was spent almost entirely about voicing concerns with what is happening to our Department of Justice, the breaching of the wall between the apolitical Department of Justice and the political White House. And it has happened. And this is the proof. So keep those eyes open. I know it's a holiday weekend, but keep your eyes open. And if something happens and there's political activism happening, don't be afraid. Take to the streets. Speak out. We only have one democracy in this country. And when it's gone, it's gone. And we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show. Mama always said we were royalty She even said it's staring in the face of poverty Is that insanity or vanity? I think it's nothing but the power of the mind Believe she put it in me Because I live on my dreams I get my fantasies wings One day I'm gonna be king I'm gonna make that woman so proud of the sun I know you heard about change It's gonna change come One question, will you be there? Will you be there? I'll be there with my hands held high in the air Like a champion Cause I demand the win Welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiamiradio.com. News, politics, more, uh, live stream, and more. Check it out at onlyinmiamiradio.com. And we are here in studio with Michael Hepburn. He is running for the Democratic nomination for Florida House District 26. Michael, thank you so much. 27. For, 27. Oh, geez. <laughs> thank you so much for joining me in the program last night. Nah, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. So, Michael, tell our audience a little bit about yourself, what you do for a living here in South Florida. Ah, no problem. So, uh, born and raised here in Miami-Dade County. Um, so, definitely uh, had a great time growing up here in our lovely city. Um, right now, personally speaking, I work at the uh, University of Miami as one of 
our uh, senior academic advisors in the School of Business. Um, and then when I'm not doing that, you would definitely find me very active um, in different parts of town, um, either volunteering as a citizen on patrol with the police department or running some of our events and initiatives with our neighborhood association. Um, also, definitely do a lot of time with our mentor program at my high school and um, a whole bunch of other stuff. But um, definitely born and raised here. Um, been able to kind of see how things have changed over the years in my 35 years, but um, also know that um, there's a lot that still looks the same, and that's the problem. Well, you've said on your website that if elected, you would be the first African-American millennial elected to Congress. Yes. Um, actually, a reporter told me that about three months ago, um, okay. when we was having a conversation just about politics and people being politically engaged. And we noticed that I believe the youngest black Democrat, um, female or male, is like maybe 47 or 46. Okay. And then we have one, uh, Mr. Hurd from Texas, he's a Republican, that's 40. So outside of that, there is no millennial that happens to be my same complexion <laughs> in the uh, U.S. House or the U.S. Senate. Well, how many millennials do you think are going to make it uh, next year into the House? Because there's a tremendous blue wave building, and I, it's undeniable. It's not just PR. You can go to pretty much anyone that looks at the numbers and say there's going to be change in Congress. But how many how many black millennials or just millennials in general do you think are going to make it in? That's a very good question. Um, I think, to be honest with you, I'm not too sure how many because I think the biggest obstacle for us right now is having young people run for office. Um, it kind of goes back to something that you mentioned in the post one time as far as if more of us run, then eventually mathematic-wise, we should be starting to become elected officials. Um, but the hard part is there is seriously a barrier for young folks getting involved in politics and running for office. And I definitely know you're probably going to talk about some of that now. <laughs> so I'm not what too sure, but, it, but it'd be great, great if it was 10, 15 of us, 20 of us. That'd be awesome. But um, <laughs> we will see. You, you mentioned mathematics <laughs> and you mentioned uh, your district. And yes. now we've got to talk about it. So how many dozen people are running for your district? <laughs> so good question. The last time I checked, I believe we had 14 candidates all together. I believe um, Mr. Dr. Dunn announced that he wasn't running anymore. So on the Democratic side, I believe it is now eight or nine of us. Only. <laughs> Only eight or nine. So not too bad. Not too bad <laughs> at all. No, I, I've actually, you know, um, just for the listeners out there, mm -hmm. we're going to interview Ken Russell. Uh, he's a Miami commissioner yep. who's also running for this same seat. And uh, Mary Barzi Flores yeah. uh, at the, the beginning of the year. So the, the 7th is uh, Commissioner Russell. And on the 14th, we'll have Miss Barzi Flores. We had Matt Hagman on the program yeah, already. That one. That and uh, we're trying to get through like all eight or nine uh, Democratic <laughs> candidates. And we'll start on the Republicans after. So uh, what are the, the pitfalls of running in a race with nine opponents? Um, to be honest with you, it hasn't really came up yet. Okay. Because um, one thing I can definitely say about our district, very, very diverse district, um, but also we all kind of operate in different social circles. Um, so to be honest with you, it hasn't really been an issue of folks saying, like, how many people are running or who's doing what. Uh, one thing I can definitely say um, just from, like, my – prior professional experience and kind of like just being involved in our community, um, it's definitely easier when you know people and if you've been involved. Um, so like when I'm knocking on doors and I'm having these conversations, we really talk about who else is running. We're more talking about what are we going to do to empower our neighbors and our communities and other people to actually make the change that we're trying to see. And then the biggest piece is just having people understand that if they join this movement that I'm pushing, um, it's bigger than just me. So um, I definitely need them to be engaged and involved and ready to go because we have a lot to do next year. Well, what do you see as the number one issue that you would like to tackle if elected as the Democratic congressperson? 
mm. from District 27. You know what? If I had to put it under one. Um, if you had one bill to file. Just one. Just one. Hmm. I'm not necessarily going to put it under a bill, but I'll tell you the segment of what it'd be under economic justice. Okay. And that can go into so many different things. Right. But in our district, we have a major issue with infrastructure development, definitely on the transit side in South Dade. Uh, We, as you know, we have mad issues when it comes down to people being able to afford places to stay. I've Um, noticed wages is definitely a big issue depending on where you go. Health care, education, which, as you know, all big topics to to cover in a sense but at the end of the day the foundation of it all lies back to us we push equity a lot right or equality to be honest with you we actually don't push equity that much so if we can figure out ways to truly create opportunity for everyone then it will go into the health care the education the affordable housing the infrastructure but the sad part is um what's lacking right now is we don't have a lot of people with political will that's elected to actually use it and we have a whole lot of elected officials with no backbone so that's a problem. That is a problem. <laughs> that is definitely a problem. I mean, you know, the they've a lot of these elected officials. I mean, the incumbent has been in office for thirty years, mm. so she hasn't had. Uh, she's had one competitive race in the last ten years. Two competitive races in the last thirty years, I'd say. So not a lot of incentive to really no. go out and listen. How many doors have you knocked on <laughs> in the district? And when Ooh. when did you start? By the way, when did you officially so, throw your hat in the you ring? Know what? Good job, Grant. Um, first, I want to kind of set the record straight because I've heard some candidates going around saying like how they're the first ones or that they've been doing this since, I guess, Ileana now she's retiring. Um, to be honest with you, this movement started around before Valentine's when we actually put together a radical idea for us to do something bigger than just running for office. And we started knocking on doors Martin Luther King weekend. Okay. And we've been knocking on doors ever since. Um, but the whole concept then was trying to have people understand what representation truly can look like and having some real conversations about what our congresswoman been able to do and not do. Um, so this was not about her retiring. But the funny part is after she announced she retired or was going to not run for re-election, I have a whole lot of other folks now saying that they, for the good of the people, they would like to run for Congress, which is kind of funny. But uh, no comment on that. well well, michael uh let's do this we're going to take a very short break Mm -hmm. but we're here with michael hepburn he's running for the 20 the democratic nomination in district 27 for congress which is miami's east side south beach coconut grove pinecrest cutler bay palmetto bay south miami michael uh tell our audience where can they take this conversation onto the internet uh, through Twitter, through uh, Facebook, through your website? Uh, really simple. So you can find me on Twitter, uh, Facebook, and Instagram. I'm at, at Vote Hepburn. So V O T E H E P B U R N. And then on my website is just MichaelHepburn.com. So very simple for you to find me. www.MichaelHepburn.com. Yep, Alrighty. <laughs> and we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show.
Welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlymiamiradio.com. News, politics, our live stream, and more. Check it out at onlymiamiradio.com. And we're back with Michael Hepburn. He is a candidate for Florida's, uh, for the Democratic candidate and uh, Democratic nomination in Florida's 26th congressional, 27th congressional <laughs> district. Uh, it's out there in Coral, uh, Coconut Grove. You've got South Miami, Pine Crest, Cutler Bay, South Beach, uh, some a little Havana too, right? Yes. Michael, thank you for joining us on the program. No problem. I'm excited to be here. So you've been knocking on a lot of doors. Thousands. Thousands of doors. <laughs> what are the top three issues that your constituents have told you they are concerned about? Uh, first one would definitely be coming from the parents, um, public education, and how we need to reform um, just how our system is set up from pre-K all the way to even going to college. Um, okay. Health care. The 27th Congressional District actually has the most folks signed up on Obamacare. So, you know, uh, with this new tax reform bill that just passed and some of the other concerns and issues that you normally hear on the news, um, health care is definitely a big issue for a lot of us. Um, definitely if you're over 55, it comes up a lot. Oh, and yeah. then the third piece goes kind of back to either the wages or mainly, to be honest with you, transit. Um, us being able to get around outside of using your car. Well, let's let's take those down in reverse order. Mm-hmm. Let's start with transit. Um, Miami-Dade County passed a one-half cent sales tax yes. in 2000, which was aimed to be a dedicated source of funds to attract federal financing for transit projects here in Miami. And it was supposed to build eight train lines. Now, obviously, this is a local responsibility. It's not a federal responsibility for the congressperson. True. But a congressperson can definitely assist. What do you think you could do to assist our transportation planning uh, uh, organization? I'm sorry. They keep changing the name Mm -hmm. of this thing. It's like alphabet soup. It's called the TPO now. I agree. What what do you think you could do if you were elected congressman? Ah, Man, so much. But if I had to narrow down just to three, one, I will push more accountability on our elected officials to actually get something done. Um, I think one of the reasons why our federal government hasn't stepped in or our congresswoman or other congress folks in the state haven't really pushed this initiative is no one's really forcing them to push the initiative. Um, Because federal funding can be used to assist us in building out this corridor, definitely in South Dade, which is what I'm focused on. Um, But it hasn't been pushed from, I never hear Ross Lathan talk about that, never. Um, so and as far as the money paid into that fund, um, it gets rated every year for other stuff, but no one's holding our lovely public officials accountable. So it's like either do what it was supposed to be done for as and use the money for what we need it for. Or I believe someone owes us some money back or need to not run for reelection. You know what? Or maybe even get recalled, to be honest with you. You, you said <laughs> one of my favorite phrases. So now we're going to have to take a detour from the three most important things. <laughs> so you talked about government oversight. Yes. Okay, now the Congress has a government oversight panel, but that's a whole other animal. Do you believe that it's a congressperson's job to to provide government oversight to what's happening in the localities where your district sits? I think it's, it should be a partnership, I believe. Um, but to be honest with you, I would like oversight to come more from the people. Like, I believe if we can actually initiate and set up organizations and committees and public boards that real people can sit on, and be partnered with their elected officials so we can look at and review the financial situations we're in and have oversight for everything collectively, then it'll be more effective than having myself or any other elected official, you know, supposedly sitting on this board trying to tell you what we're doing with the money when we're the ones actually 
not doing stuff with the money. Yeah, but <laughs> won't know? that won't that make you an unpopular congressperson if all the local officials know that you're actually getting the community involved and you're taking away all of the, of the course, back rooms? But Grant, you have to understand this concept of what elected officials should be needs to be revamped totally. Like the main reason I'm running for office is to repeal and replace Congress altogether. Like this is not a game. Like we are running extraordinary, ordinary people all across the nation to replace their current congressman or congresswoman because they're not doing their jobs. And if I can have anybody spur that movement to bring it down to the city and the state level, then I will push that as well because real people need to be seated at the table of our government, and that is not happening right now. So this whole concept of me running for office is bigger than me. Trust me on that one. And if I can only serve one term but be effective, I will take two years and be effective over 28 years any day. Well, speaking of those who have served for 28 years, the Republican congresswoman who is sitting in the seat right now voted in favor of the backdoor Obama, Obamacare repeal this week. And she voted in favor of repealing Obamacare without any replacement <laughs> whatsoever. Of course. Uh, but you say that you're, you're, the residents of your district are actually very concerned about health care. So what, what are their concerns and what do you intend to do about those concerns? It goes back to, one, having them be seated at the table of their government. And that goes with us pushing initiatives from, like you said, financially bringing different opportunities to this district as well as to this state so we can fund the things that we need from education, changing the concept of how that is funded. I do not believe. Oh, we're going to get to education okay. next. But I definitely promise. with the health care piece, I am for Medicare for all. I am. My concept of pushing healthcare should be it is a right. I am talking about no deductibles, no co-pays, vision coverage included type of healthcare that should be comprehensive to every citizen in America. So until we have other elected officials that are strong enough, have the political will and the backbone to understand that healthcare is a right for all of us, and then until we elect them into office, then nothing will change. And that's what I'm pushing. I am when I say complete overhaul. This access or equality conversations that we have in are great, but it's about equity. It's about making sure everyone is taken care of. It's about not allowing anyone to have to get into an Uber to go to Jackson Hospital because they're scared to call 911 because of the price, because they don't have insurance and the price they would have to pay if they called 911 and had, you know, emergency have to come in and that fee that comes with that. I mean, you have people making some serious life and death decisions every day. And it's because of finances or because of us not providing them with simple, basic quality of health care. And that is sad. And we live in America. And that's, the, and that's the funny part about this all, where we have all the resources that we need. They're there. We have all the people saying the right things. But then I am 35, and I swear it's the same way now than when I was a kid. It's, be honest with you, it's worse. Well, you know, let's talk about health care for a second. The critics always love to say, well, you're going to have to raise taxes a lot to provide health care to everybody. How would it work? Ha. We, we talk about raising taxes, but the funny part is we already taking most of the revenue now. I mean, the amount of money that we spend and we waste with our health care system now is money that can be used in order to rectify the issues of not having to raise taxes. I mean, overall, when you look at just the whole concept of how we financially fund things, um, people always refer back to the tax piece, definitely my Republican friends. But the sad part is if we better allocated the money that we already have within the federal government and our state governments and even our local municipalities, trust me, we'll be able to fund a whole lot of other stuff than what we're not funding now. But the sad part is when you're receiving money from corporate PACs or when your nice buddies are lobbyists and writing policy and bills for you instead of your staff or your community members writing policy and bills or allocation of funds, 
we just happen to not have money all the time. And then the best thing somebody can propose is, oh, we need to raise taxes. But trust me, the money is there. American people pay into lovely taxes every year regardless, right? We've been doing this for the longest, regardless of what you make. So it's not like we don't have the resources. We need people that's going to do the right thing for people. And, and that's where it starts. Because financially, we are in good shape when it comes down to the amount of money we take in, in taxes. Okay. Well, let's talk about education. Because you, you started with the funding formulas. I'm going to keep you off of those for now because okay. those are so exciting. Everybody <laughs> wants to hear about them. I mean, people love numbers. numbers best. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, well, you know, this is the biz and we're not afraid of the numbers. But right. I want to start before we go to the really because, you know, once you get into prim- like into the primary education space, it gets much more complicated. But I want to start with the higher education space because you said that higher education is also one of the concerns yes. that, that people have in your district. Now, first of all, Congress just raised the cost of having a child in college by $500 per year per child. Yes, because we're trying to help you go to college. (laughs) Uh, For every single parent in this country, you think that's something that needs to be fixed? Um, I think it's it's something that should never have happened in the first place. But the sad part, it goes back to the concept of do you have people in office that actually care about your kid going to college? Or do you have people in office that care about the business of higher education? Well, the Republican congresswoman in your district voted for this bill. Mm-hmm. And I'm not surprised. And to be honest with you, you probably have Democrats. Um, I haven't really d- did the research on all this as far as where all the votes went. But you have Democrats across this country and probably even here in the state of Florida that voted for it, too, or support it. You have Democrats that support vouchers and charter schools and not having them have the same accountability as other folks. OK, you um, said the V word and the C word. So now <laughs> we're going to go into the primary education. So, stuff, you know. The, that's where all the stickiest issues are. Yeah. Okay, let's 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 go slowly here because they're really sticky. So you said that you don't like the way that primary schools are funded. So explain to our listening audience here. How is it that schools are funded now and why do you object to that and how could you work on that mm. as a, a congressperson? Based upon what I what I do know on that issue is mainly is based upon your property taxes, right? So your zip sure. code determines what school or the quality of schools your kid will have options to go to. Um, so for instance, I grew up in the inner city. Uh, we don't have a whole lot of homeowners or high uh, property values in where I grew up. So my school totally looked different than South Miami High. Or, what school did you go to? Uh, Miami Central. Okay. And that was before it was re- redesigned and redeveloped, right? Um, so access to magnet programs, quality of teachers that we had, just the safetiness of me getting to school was a totally different feel and perspective than my other friends up north or even further south that some of the other schools are private schools. But to me, it's all about having a mix of how we fund education. Everyone talks about it all the time as a great priority. This is what we want to do for America. This is what we need to do for our kids. This is the gateway to a 21st century economy. But we do not invest in it outside of property taxes. So to be honest with you, going back to those taxes that we bring in, federally speaking, I believe we need to have collectively have a push here in America that the federal government evens out the playing field for everyone in the U.S. So in a sense, you will receive funds from the federal government paired with your property values or your taxes in your local cities and municipalities paired with state. The money has been raided from these state trust funds across the nation in order to make sure everybody has access and quality schools because they don't have lack of financial funding for them. Well, I think people kind of know but don't always realize that the House of Representatives is the right place when you're talking about these budgets. Mm -hmm. Because that's where all the budgets mm-hmm. are written. Because it originates from us and goes back to these different states for them to utilize in a sense, right? Um, but the sad part is you have states that will send a whole bunch of money to 
D.C. and don't get that money back because let's just be honest, like some states bring in more revenue and actually have more sales tax and things like that than other places. But they're not receiving that fair share of their money back to those states to actually implement the programs and initiatives they're trying to do. So my my goal is to have a Congress that is definitely going to level out the playing field for everyone financially and make sure that if education is a priority in our country, then everyone, regardless of where you live, will be able to go to a great school. So you don't have to worry about taking your kid out and send them to a charter school or getting a voucher and all this other crap. Well, you know, one of the reasons that they have uh, magnet programs, for example, is to increase like like to implement desegregation in schools, which now that they're removing some of these desegregation, you know, the busing and they're starting to remove it. They're saying, well, it's been a long time. Mm -hmm. But now the schools are kind of resegregating. I mean, isn't that something that needs to be addressed as well? It ha- it it can, but to be honest with you, most of the some of the stuff when it comes down to our neighborhoods is bigger than policy, right? It's bigger than government. It's bigger than electing me to be your congressman. Like a lot of these issues come with us looking each other in the eye and saying, you know what, we're going to do what's best for our kids collectively together as in neighbors, as in people. It's about us going to PTA meetings and things like that as well to make sure that we're making sure our neighborhoods are strong and that we're making sure that we're creating opportunities ourselves outside of public policy. And then making sure that you're electing school board members and con- congressmen and congresswomen and mayors and governors that's going to not vote against your own interests, right? So then you can actually implement the things that you're talking about at those PTA meetings or at the dinner table. So it's bigger than policy for a lot of our issues, but the people have to understand it's an inside-outside game. Until we on the ground as people, as citizens, hold each other accountable, then we can also hold these elected officials accountable as well because we it needs to be both ways. So, Michael, tell our audience where they can take the conversation onto the Internet if they'd like. Give them your website, your, your Twitter handle, Facebook. Where, where can they reach out you to can definitely find reach out about me. the campaign? Now, you can definitely reach me at the website, www.michaelhepburn.com. And I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Vote Hepburn. So very easy for you to get to me. Spell it all out Oh, V-O-T-E-H-E-P-B-U-R-N. And we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show.
Ooh, welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co. iTunes, podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiami.co. And we're back live with Michael Hepburn. He is a candidate for the Democratic nomination for Congress in Florida's 27th congressional district covering Coconut <laughs> Grove, South Beach, the city of Miami, uh, Cutler Bay, uh, Palmetto Bay, Pinecrest, and uh, a few points there near there, right? West Miami in there, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for joining us on the program, Michael. Thank you, thank you. So we've covered a lot of ground. Now it's candidates' choice. What would uh, you like to talk about? Um, you know what, two things. One, I think when it comes down to perspective, when I tell people that I'm running because I'm trying to bring a new perspective to Congress, sure. Um, I think the concept is a lot of people don't really know my background, right? So tell right now, you know, it. I work in higher education, so I have a master's in higher ed, and I've um, been working in higher ed about four years now. Where'd you go to school? Um, went to FIU for okay. um, undergrad and grad school, so okay, um, definitely here in the state. Um, but when I first came out of college, um, my background is I'm a former executive for like Target Corporation, right? So I worked in like retail management, um, you know, oversaw what 130 employees, you know, 20 something million dollar budgets, um, you know, on that side of the business. Then I transitioned into the sports and entertainment world. So I actually started working for the National Football League okay. um, and coordinated, you know, different Super Bowl events and working with our NFL players and actually worked for a labor union for the NFL Players Association. Oh, so, the NFLPA. Yeah, the NFLPA. So when I sit here and I'm talking about issues related to wages, it's because even back in 2007, I was sitting here trying to make sure my employees was making more than $12 or $13 an hour. So this $15 an hour push is great, but we have to understand you don't need laws sometimes to have to do the right thing, right? So we need people that's going to stand up and do the right thing regardless. When I started working for the labor union, Colin Kaepernick and what he is doing this year is great, but we've been trying to make sure our players knew they had a voice and that was bigger than football since back in the day, right? Because sure. standing up for social social inequality issues or social justice or just making sure that we are doing the right thing in our neighborhoods or just doing the right thing in our businesses shouldn't come from your elected officials all the time, right? Um, and then even now going into higher ed, when I sit here and talk about how we need to have universal pre-K and we need to have debt-free higher education, it's because I believe in that. I went to school for that, and I actually transitioned into working in higher ed to make sure we're pouring life into the dreams of our young people for their goals and their aspirations, right? So everything that we need to do, we have access to do it. You know, we can come together and empower each other to make a difference in our lives and each other's lives. What I'm trying to do is take that to another level where empower people to make sure we're our creating strong environments in our, in, you know, in our environment, in our communities, but to also make sure we're receiving the support that we need from folks that's holding some of the allocation and the financial resources that we may need, which comes to like Congress, governor, state representative, state senator, all these other elected officials. So I just want people to understand political campaigns do not just have to be every two years or every four years. You can be about your business and passionate about something every day and make it work and make a difference in our communities. And it doesn't have to come from a congressman or a congresswoman. That's very true. Uh, you know, I encourage people to be active in the community. That's why I tell my stories on this program. Mm -hmm. um, and there's there's many different levels of government. That's something that can always be very confusing. True. And it takes a lot of actual learning to understand, you know, the federal government does this, state yeah, government state does, does that. Yep. County does this. I mean, it's actually kind of like a whole discipline, just figuring out it is. what, who covers what. Should be a certificate program. Yeah, really, it should <laughs> be. Um, so let's talk about higher education yep. and, and and education debt. 
Uh, do you have student loans? I do. I am pushing almost 100000 Ouch. Yes. It's crazy because of different, um, don't get me wrong, I had some great opportunities like to do some programs like Georgetown University and FIU and some other places. Um, But the cost of us educating each other and educating ourselves is extremely high. And it should not be that way. You know, our parents' generation did not have these kind of costs and they didn't, they, they had more subsidies. Yes. Okay. But our parents' generation decided that the millennial generation, our, you know, our generation, the younger generation, did not deserve to have that kind of opportunity. Um, but because our group of, you know, our individuals, our people in our age bracket, uh, you know, believe in that, how do we get there? How do you believe that Congress can take us from the current system, which is basically an enormous subsidy True. to the banks, to the largest banks True. in America, and a lot of high interest rate loans you can never get rid of. True. How do we go from that to a, a system where it's more like, you know, in uh, the UK or in Germany, where you have higher education for all who qualify. True. I think it starts with one redeveloping how our K through 12 system is. I truly do believe that our kids or our young people should be leaving our high schools with like associate arts degrees in a sense, right? So that that should okay. be if we reform how we educate our primary schooling in the sense, I think it changes the whole concept of what higher ed looks like. So like, sure. for instance, at Miami Central, you can literally, when I mean, you're 11th grade, 12th grader, be taking your ENC 1101 classes and your math classes that you normally would take your first two years in a sense in college while you're still in high school. So in a sense, we're already alleviating some of the debt that you might have taken on, right? And, and there are some special programs mm-hmm. like that, the School for Advanced Studies. I agree. So my thing is to make that how come we can have that in all of our schools? Like, just change the whole That's concept of how we educate our kids, period. Well, the uh, advanced placement courses are intended True. to be That's that. That's AP. They are. But I, I truly do believe if we invest in education early, have our kids really go into our educational system, you know, with their good reading levels and mathematics and having them understand the arts and STEM um, you can truly change the whole concept of how they're prepared when they're in high school and what they can do when, once they get there. And then as far as the higher ed piece, I truly do believe the government should be pushing like forgiveness programs when it comes down to student loans. And if you go into certain career sets, like even with me going to higher ed and things like that, I believe that stuff should be waived. If you took out a loan to go and work to become a teacher or a firefighter and things like in other career sets, I don't believe you should be paying all this money for your student loans. Matter of fact, I believe that your education should be funded. Like the whole concept of us building a strong 21st century economy is about making sure we're developing people with great skill sets. And education should be a part of that. And it shouldn't have to set you back where you're not able to buy a house or afford to live or afford to have um, just the necessities of a quality of life because of your educational pursuits. Well, you know, as uh, I'm a professional mortgage broker. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you that every dollar in debt that somebody has is a dollar that's not going to housing. Mm, they can't afford a car. No. They can't afford that credit card. They're buying things with that. And all of that money, all of that student loan debt is actually draining demand out of the economy. And that's taking jobs away. I agree. And it also goes back to what you brought up earlier, too, as far as this how, like, for instance, when I was going through school, who I had to go to in order to get a loan to cover, like, my Georgetown program and things like Let's that. Let's talk about that. Which is crazy to me as well, right? I just truly don't understand, like, how... Like, did you have to go, like, that That wasn't there, a federal loan. No, that, that, was, that, that literally was a came, loan, yeah, right? they came through a bank <laughs> with a very high interest rate, 
And even though I was my educational pursuits was to go into something that was going to benefit our society as a whole. Right. I didn't become a banker or anything like that. The concept was to take what I learned back into the education system. Man, the amount of money that is spent for me to be qualified in a sense and then now go into this educational system or skill set that we have. And then now you want to pay a teacher thirty six thousand or forty thousand dollars. But then they took out almost eighty thousand, one hundred thousand dollars in loans. But you tell them to be a great teacher and to have a great family and buy a house and buy a car. Don't understand it, but it goes back to allocation of resources. Federal government can truly change the concept of how we fund higher ed. We can truly change the concept of where money comes from. We can truly change the concept of how forgiveness programs look. We can truly change the concept of what K through 12 looks like. You know, we can push on those initiatives on all so many levels and actually empower people along the way. If you have folks that's willing to do the work, have a backbone to not take money from the same people that, in a sense, we're telling or trying to have regulations on or trying to change the concept of how stuff should work. Because let's be real. A lot of stuff doesn't happen because people are receiving contributions from folks that are not necessarily going to be happy about them changing some of these policies and initiatives. So how many contributions have you received? Ah, that's a good campaign? one. That's a good one. We are. Um, last time I checked, um, I believe I'm up to about four thousand two hundred contributions so far. That's quite a few. Yes. And all of them are from regular people. Like my, my biggest piece was to make sure that extraordinary, ordinary people across the nation understood that it's about working class, middle class people having a voice. And your $5, $10, $20 donation should be just as powerful as someone giving a $2,700 donation. And guess what? They know that I will listen to them because they are the ones that's getting me through. They are the ones that's pushing me forward, helping me get to these doors, buying the resources that we need. And that's what politics and campaigns should look like. It should be people over politics. But it's not. I, I would love to see if any of the other candidates in your district have 4,200 donations. I would love to see if any other person in this race will, one, take a pledge to not take any corporate PAC money, take a pledge to not take any money from lobbyists that's tied to these industries, take a pledge to not take money from folks that are in business or in industries that are affecting our communities, and then actually go and talk to real people and then see if they can take small donations and still go out there and effectively run their campaigns. Have you taken that pledge? Oh, my campaign and the people that's running with me is all about that. We are, we are about people over corporations, and that's how government should be. But the sad part is, most of our elected officials, it's the total opposite. And then we wonder why stuff ends up done. Well, let's circle back to something that, that we started the program with. Something you mentioned, uh, you've gone on, on police ride-alongs. True. And I was speaking about the Department of Justice. One of the biggest issues facing America today is that the Department of Justice is run by a racist <laughs> al former Alabama senator who prosecuted African-Americans <laughs> under the Voting Rights Act, of all things. Yep. I mean, this takes talent, okay? Uh, talent and evil. And this man is the head of the Department of Justice of the United States of America. Trump. As a congressman, what would you pursue to enhance the ability of citizens to exercise their civil rights safely in this country? To be honest with you, it goes back to getting rid of the people that's there. Be honest, like I'm, I'm, I'm be very honest about this. Like, 
I know we sit here, we talk about passing bills and legislation, but when you really break it down, if we don't have the votes, nothing gets done. So you just have people come back to town hall meetings talking about they're fighting all the time. Okay, so right? wait a second. So Grant, I am literally I'm talking give you about- a hypothetical. You're yeah. part of the blue wave. I am, are, I am no, I am part of the brand new Congress. There's going to be a brand new Congress. Democrats are going to be in charge. Yep. You're going to be able to submit a bill. If you can mm-hmm. submit one bill about civil rights, what would that bill do? It will make sure that we are not supporting efforts of voter suppression. Okay. Right? So it'll be tied towards making sure we are playing out, even at the, the level across this country when it comes down to having folks be able to vote, having people not feel that they're discriminated against, and then also making sure that it's tied to, like, equity across the board. Well, let's talk about the voter the Voting Rights Act. Mm-hmm. Okay. The Supreme Which was, court, as you know, yes. yeah. The Supreme <laughs> Court decided that uh, the South was never the South and that uh, unfair bro- voting practices practically never that, happened that never on happened. some sort of geographic basis. They don't know history. They didn't read and, the books. Right. They, they decided that history doesn't matter anymore. Correct. And they removed the map from the Voting Rights Act. If you were in Congress, what places would you add back to the map of covered jurisdictions under the Voting Rights Act. <laughs> Every place we had before. <laughs> Only? No, I actually will expand it. Um, but the funny part is I will definitely start with those. Um, but to be honest with you, I was having this conversation about two months ago. Um, I think all states should be reviewed. Like, literally speaking, I think we need to evaluate our processes in every state. Okay. Um, because to be honest with you, we may not see it on the bigger scale as far as what folks in lower income communities and stuff are facing, but there is discrimination and there is voter oppression in a sense in a whole lot of places that are supposedly liberal and that we think are doing just fine, but we just don't talk about it. So literally speaking, I would like to have a law in place where every state is reviewed to make sure that they are being held accountable to make sure they're creating great opportunities, right, for everyone to voice their opinion and to vote and to have the same rights as everybody else in their communities. Okay, but I mean, the, being reviewed is different than preclearance. The, sure, the whole point of the Voting Rights Act is to create these districts where anytime they make a change to voting rights, it has to get pre-cleared by the Department of Justice. This is a big deal. It is. It's not easy to get pre-clearance. It's not, but to be honest with you, it kind of goes back to the concept of why not take a stance where we proactively make sure every state before they make any changes are going through some type of review board, hopefully led by real citizens, not always elected officials, to make sure that those changes are beneficial for everyone in that state or in that community. So I'm, I'm, I'm about the bigger picture when it comes down to that. Like, yes, we have issues in the South, but trust me, it's, it's issues in the North and in California and some other places I've been as well. So why not have collectively have some type of initiative where everyone has to go through some type of preclearance in the sense before they make any adjustments. Well, I mean, we do have that. We have laws on the books. We do, but it goes back to people enforcing the laws that we have. And, and sure. that's, that's the sad part. Half the stuff that happens in our country is most of the time against the law or whatever, right? But the sad part is you can't, you can't legislate morality. Like you can't, as many laws as I can pass, it still doesn't force people to do the right thing unless we're having those conversations. Well, then then it has to get enforced. And if there's no enforcement, then people pretty much think they can get away with it. I agree. But it also goes back even here in Miami. Like we're still dealing with racial divides in our district. You know, like as I go through different districts, I get racially profiled in Pinecrest and I'm running for Congress. I was racially profiled sitting in my car with my pastor in my own apartment building. You know, we're, we're not having real conversations about what's taking place even here in South Florida. Right. I mean, running for office is a great thing. But guess what? If you've never seen someone like me do it, 
then we have some issue when it comes comes down to empowerment. I mean, you still have some of my Hispanic friends that's never been in black neighborhoods in our district, right? Wow. You have some of my black friends that's never been to Caliocho or never even had a conversation about going to Little Havana, right? You have some of my white friends in our district that don't know neither one. Neither. Right? So <laughs> until we have people putting those conversations out there, until we're trying to change the concept of what government looks like and what civic activism looks like, until we're trying to have younger people involved, all these laws that we can hopefully pass in Congress are great, but it definitely starts here in your district today. So, Michael, uh, we're here with Michael Hepburn. He's a candidate for the Democratic nomination in Florida's 27th congressional yes. district. Tell our listening audience in one minute mm -hmm. why they should vote for you in this very crowded primary. It's really simple, people. It's this campaign is truly about creating a brand new Congress. And when I say that, I am running with almost 52 other people across the U.S. to repeal and replace our current Congress as a whole. And this initiative is to 2020. We are not running because of personal pursuits or trying to be aspiring career politicians. We are truly trying to have extraordinary, ordinary people seated at the table of our government across the board. People like you that should be in office, because trust me, if you were the congressman and the congresswoman, we would not have this issue with tax reform bills. We would have not have this issue with education or health care because real people understand how much it takes to get on a bus or while being deported from the train is bad or why it shouldn't be a bad thing in order to your congresswoman makes four million dollars over a lifetime. But then it's OK for the federal government to say seven dollars and twenty five cents is all right for everybody else. Right. Real people understand those issues. So this campaign is bigger than me. And when I say that, literally, this is bigger than me. I am running to, yes, be a representative for my district, for my city, for my state. But at the same time, I am running to empower people that do not feel empowered. And that's what this is about. So if you are about that, then I definitely want you to join Team Hepburn. If you want stuff to stay the same way, if you believe that corporate PACs and lobbyists and stuff should be donated to candidates, pick one of the other guys. Right. Because it's definitely not me. If you think government is going to work, if we send people up there by themselves, that's going to be isolated because they got to do the same stuff that's been done. Pick somebody else. But if you want to change, if you want a new perspective, if you want to be seated at government tables because you are the voice, then this is the campaign you need to be affiliated with. So, Michael, thank you so much for joining me on the program tonight. Tell our audience one last time, where can they take this conversation offline? And we got to get out of here in a minute. No problem. So you can visit me at www.michaelhepburn.com. And I'm on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Vote Hepburn, V-O-T-E-H-E-P-B-U-R-N. And that's all the time we have for tonight's Only in Miami show. Join us next week. We'll have a candidate for District 26, Stephen Machat live on the show next week and join us every Monday night from 7 to 8 p.m. This is the Only in Miami show.